anything wrong in this situation. He took a pitch in the back. He got beamed for crying out loud. We used heart attack. Lee. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over with the Germans bomb Pearl Harbor? The castration of the major league baseball managers. We know it. Ask me about my winner. I've made it very clear over the years that <clears throat> I enjoy sports. In fact, sports, I think, are one of the greatest gifts that we can be given for those that want to distract from other things that happen in our lives. My identification with sports is it really comes at the expense of any issues one could be going through, any things that are going on in the world, any negativity uh, let's say John Q. Public's average job and a monotony of that. I think sports allow us to go into this imaginary world and just envision for a certain time frame, a couple hours, three hours, maybe four hours tops during a given game, that we're teleported somewhere else as opposed to you know the mundane things that we think about and and bring to our attention all the time. And when sports integrate with politics, when sports integrate with um, world issues, um, I understand why they do. But I do express my disappointment when sports move into a different territory and start discussing things that I feel, as the sports fan that I am, that I'm getting away from by watching sports. Now, some of these things are very subtle. Some of them aren't as as uh, big when it comes when it comes to the discussion of race, the discussion of equality, um, war as it happens throughout the world. You, you know, you want to stay away from politics when it comes to the world of sports. You want to focus on the action. But sometimes, some of the things that get in our way and intersect with sports are very subtle, and they happen on you know a given field or ice or court or arena or stadium or like i said field so when you watch the back and forth that happens between any two teams over the course of a physical series you're obviously seeing it going on in the nhl right now well when teams hey they could get a little physical and you know have big time altercations within a just one game when you're stuck facing the same opposition three, four, five to seven games, you know there starts to be some animosity between the two squads. You're seeing it happening in basketball. You got the little rift that's going on between the Golden State Warriors and the Memphis Grizzlies, and a lot of that is, and it could be kind of put aside to, hey, boys being boys, men being men. You know, it's competitors. You know, wanting their team to come out on top going to do everything they can to put them in the best position to win a series. Golden State wants to win the series. Memphis wants to win the series. And during physical action that's happening on the court, they're going to do everything they possibly can to put themselves in the best position to win. I just hate wanting. I really do. I just hate how it's become so prolific in our sports. And when you look at a sport like basketball, a basketball which I grew up on, I grew up in the 1980s. I grew up during a time where 
basketball, you can make a case, was as physical as football and hockey. And you can think of it now, you say, wow, you know, basketball was as physical as basketball and hockey? Yes. Every game was a fight. The playoffs that I grew up watching in the late 80s and the early part of the 90s were something that couldn't be any more different than what you see right now in the NBA. There was people that literally were out there trying to hurt each other. Now understand, listen, Dylan Brooks, a hard foul on uh, Gary Payton, and he's injured. He probably won't be able to play the rest of the postseason. Maybe if the Warriors make it to the NBA Finals, he'll be back, and uh, hopefully he, he heals up as quickly as possible. But there's, there's a lot of, oh, man, it must have been on purpose. Dylan Brooks must have been out there trying to hurt him. And the NBA kind of felt that way because they suspended him. They suspended him for a game. Now, there's basketball plays, and there's intent to injure. We've seen it. And, and growing up in the 80s, watching the physicality, and you know guys that didn't like what they saw would literally punch the other dude in the face. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who I think still think to this point, is the most underrated NBA player to ever play in a sports history. You know, you watch him just knock a guy out by punching him in the face. That's what happened in the 80s and probably earlier in the 70s. I can't remember watching basketball then, but we understood that this was such a physical game. But you've watched the way it's changed. Um, The JoJo English, Derek Harper fight kind of led to something changing. You know, Alonzo Mourning and Larry Johnson and Jeff Van Gundy, you know, hugging Mourning's leg. That led to some change in the way that basketball is going to be perceived. Now, there's fouls for coming off the bench. You come off the bench, you're automatically suspended. If you're not on the court and you join in an altercation, then you're not going to play the next game. It's that simple. It's like you know being caught carrying a gun in New York City. If it's an unregistered gun, you're going to serve time in jail. Ask Plaxico, Plaxico Burris. But what frustrates me is that there is that extra drama for a game that really has taken an awful lot of physicality out of it. And one of the things that is frustrating is the the thinking man's basketball game now. Because, you know, in, in your mind, you're trying to outsmart whatever perception of the rules you see. How could you draw more fouls? You know, James Harden literally puts the ball in both of his arms and just bull rushes to, to a point where he's hoping to get a foul. And then the guy on the other end is trying to get himself in the right position to not move, to initiate the contact, to, to where the ref is going to call the offensive foul. That's what the game has turned into. That's the most physical part of basketball right now. But once again, you think in, in the world of, you know, not even just basketball, but other sports, you have uh, an injury to somebody that's on your team. And you're going to automatically think that the other team did it on purpose. And if the other team commits a foul with somebody ends up getting hurt, um, John Morant gets hurt in the next game, all of a sudden it's like Jordan Poole did that on purpose. And you know what? The only people that believe that are the Golden State Warriors. And the only people that believe that Dylan Brooks intentionally tried to hurt Gary Payton are the Memphis Grizzlies. And this goes back to what I was saying about you know the, the Mets and the Cardinals. You know the Mets are tired of getting hit. They think everybody's throwing at them, and you know God forbid they throw a pitch that goes inside to uh, their opposition. Automatically, they're trying to retaliate, 
And every time that they get hit, that pitcher is absolutely 100% unequivocally throwing the ball at them, trying to hurt them. Not just trying to hit them, but trying to hurt them. And, and this is like just the silly antics that you see in a world of sports. And you know what? I've said before I'm out to watch the game. But I understand that there's a game within the game. And I get the physicality, when, especially when it, we're talking playoffs. Football playoffs are different because these games are set up to be just one and done. You move on, you face, you know, if, if you face a division rival in a, in a postseason game, that's the third time you've played them all year. You got six and seven game series against the same team. Um, most In most cases, you know, you're thinking basketball, hockey, baseball, you know, conference rivals, sometimes division rivals that we have seen multiple times already. You get how players can get underneath each other's skin. That's just natural. But, I mean, to me, I think that I don't, I don't want to call it full of shit, but it kind of is. It kind of is if you think about, you know, the, the only people that are going to say that player X was trying to hurt player Y were player X's teammates. And player-wise, teammates are going to say, well, we, we weren't trying to hurt them. And, it, and it's the stupid game that goes back and forth. And, you know, to, to think about the change in the NBA over the course of the last 35, 40 years, you've seen a big change. And the physicality within the sport is not what it used to be. But yet we try to make it out to be a lot more than it is because we, we watch... You know, television, everybody's watching their favorite podcast. You got, you know, what, whatever channel it is of sports that's going to continuously have this group of people and the next group of people all talking about the same thing. And it gets really blown out to a lot more than it is. You know what? Another big difference in 35, 40 years ago, uh, you know, there wasn't any 24-hour sports networks. In fact, 24-hour on, on the radio sports networks were just starting to become a thing in the late 80s. So, you know, these the, this need for fill, which I, I think it's what it is. It's, it's a need to fill, you know, topics, fill time slots, you know, give people different reasons to talk about it and think about it. I mean, you got people that are that are not even experts in any given field just throwing their own opinion. And that's all it is. You know, I go out there and I give an opinion that you don't want to hear. Well, you know what? You got the right to say whatever it is that you want to me. You know, you want to put me down. You want to insult me. I'm okay with that. And I bring that when it comes to the thought of players speaking, which is a topic I've brought up on this show before because, you know, there's that narrative that says, hey, stick to sports, which I couldn't disagree with anymore. Now, if somebody wants to go out there and say some outlandish thing, you want to say, uh, make a comparison, Kyrie Irving, hey, the world is is flat. Whatever. You know, you could say that. I got the right to criticize that if I think it's you know, an outlandish statement. I got the right to, you know, see him going out there to talk and, and mute, hit the mute button or not watch him if, I, if he's out there and speaking. But... He should have the right to feel however he wants to. In fact, you know, the stick to sports narrative is something that, you know, you, you, the more you think about, the more you realize is really set to put other people down. And I'm not saying it's a, there's a racial motivation behind it, 
But it, it gets brought up mostly when it comes to basketball players speaking. Mostly when it comes up to football players speaking. And these are people that predominantly in the sport are black. So th there is this narrative to try to shut people down. And a different way to do it is say, well, if you play sports, you shouldn't talk about anything that isn't related to sports. Well, if we applied that to everyday life, there's a lot of people that wouldn't have an opinion on a lot of given topics. How many people talk about politics but are not politicians? How many people give advice when it comes to the, the treatment of a cold or an injury or something but do not have a medical license? How many people as parents give simple help to their children when it comes to homework and they don't have a teaching degree? In fact, some of the greatest information that I've ever learned has come from people that didn't have degrees and were not professionals in the fields that they told me about. I learned a lot about sports and sports history from people that didn't have a doctorate or weren't professionals. I've learned a lot about life from people that were not considered sociologists or philosophers. You have the right as the person that's viewing or listening to interpret the information however you want. If you don't trust the validity of the person that's providing the information, then by all means, don't listen to it. By all means, you don't have to take any, any advice that's being thrown out there by a professional athlete that's not talking about sports to heart or react to it. You got the right to not listen. You got the right to respond. If you think somebody, like I said, Kyrie Irving, the world is flat. If, if you think that's such a, an, an un, unbelievably wrong statement, then you've got the right to, to say, listen, you sound like a fool. You're embarrassing yourself. What are you going out there saying that for? But it doesn't take away the ability for one to say what it is that they're saying. So just thinking about baseball as we're squaring ourselves away into the start of the season, you know some of my frustrations, and I, I bring up pace of play, not, not in a way to say, hey, this has got to be a, an important topic, this has got to be brought up and discussed in, in Major League Baseball, but you know the, the games are running, and it's not about the time, I don't think. I think we've disguised our, our frustration when it comes to baseball based off of how long a game goes. You know, if there's a game and there's action from start to finish, you, know, you kind of, you're engaged to a point where you don't want that game to end, right? You know, if you're watching a classic basketball game or a classic football playoff game or a classic World Series game, and there's so much back and forth action, you're glued to the television, or you're in the arena or the stadium or the field, and you're there cheering your, your ass off. And you can't wait to see, hey, is your team going to win? Is your team not going to win? Or if you're neutral and you don't care which team wins, you just want the game to end so you can embrace where you were in this classic moment. When that happens, the length of the game isn't a big deal. And I think we've made the mistakes when it comes to discussing issues with baseball. And we say it's pace of play. We say it's the batter stepping out of the batter's box. It's the pitcher stepping off the rubber. Uh, some other people say, well, you know, it's not that. It's the length of commercial breaks. Listen, baseball is always going to be a game within the game. 
But the thing that should change, hopefully will, over the course of time, because we feel like all the wrongs have been righted throughout the history of not only baseball, but football, basketball, hockey. That's why that's why we're gravitated towards these sports. That's why we use sports as the the hiding away from the everything else that we think about in the world. You don't like your job, you you, you take in, you embrace yourself in sports. You know, you don't like what's going on with uh, you know a, the potential of a world war. You watch sports. You hate politics. You just you go to sports. You don't like the weather forecast. You turn on a game, and what you're able to do is you're able to for for that moment just hide and 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 be be in this different world, in this different element where nothing else really matters other than just the action that you're looking on the field. But if the game itself is not that enjoyable, if the game is dragging on, not so much in time. Like I said, you give me four, four and a half, five hours of a baseball game that's action back and forth. You're wondering who's going to win. You're wondering who's going to one-up the other team. There's runs being scored. There's guys on the bases. There's strikeouts in big spots. You're seeing the the dominance of the athletes that are on the field. Great defensive plays. Um, you know, trying to take the extra base in certain spots. Long home runs. You know, players scaling a wall to make a catch. Players being thrown out. You know, trying to get to the extra base. You know, stuff like this is all firing you up. I could watch that for five hours, and I know a lot of other sports fans could do that. So once again, it's not about the time. It's about the fact that there is limited to no action on the baseball field. And this thought that the game is being controlled by the liveliness of the baseball, but most importantly, it is controlled by the minds. I learned as a young kid that baseball was a thinking man's sport. You're out on the field playing whatever position in Little League, and coach tells you, hey, what would you do if the ball was hit to you? Because you want to be ready. You know, hey, run around base, you're going to put the ball here. No runners on base, you're going to do this. Um, you know, are you thinking about if there's a pop-up at second base and a couple runners on, do you want to let the ball drop? Are they going to call an infield fly? All these different things are, are coming out there. The, the battle between the hitter and the pitcher. The pitcher, you know, dominates with pitch A, but the batter knows it. The batter's going to be ready for pitch A. So does the pitcher have something else to deceive them and make them think something else is coming and then throw pitch A right back at them? Yes, we understand that baseball forever has been a thinking man's game. And we've used the technology and everything that we can to our own advantages from the team's sake to try to win, right? I, I feel, in spite of the issues that I've had with baseball, whether it's owners that really shouldn't be in position to own a professional sports team, their lack of interest in paying players to try to win a championship, winning, not being the goal of a handful of owners out there in baseball, disgusts me. It bothers me. But then I go back and I think of, hey, how should it be played? Well, you want to do what you can, use the resources you ha- can to give yourself an advantage and the best chance to go out there and win a particular game. Now, just winning the game puts you in a better position for what is the major goal of winning the championship. 
And you know, you've heard me talk about Jackie Robinson breaking a color barrier in 1947 and the relationship between him and Branch Rickey and the understanding that it wasn't all about Branch Rickey wanting the black player to play with the white players. It was his thought of giving the Dodgers the best advantage to win because that was the goal. The goal was to win. The goal wasn't to be the nicest guys. The goal wasn't to turn a profit like owners have miscalculated so badly in a world of sports today. His goal was to win, win a championship, win a National League pennant, win a World Series. And if he could bring a black player into Major League Baseball for the first time in over 60 years, he would have that advantage for the other black players to say, hey, the Dodgers were the ones that broke the color barrier. I want to play with Jackie Robinson, number one. Number two, I want to go to the team that we could see is embracing the dark-skinned athlete. So there was an ulterior motive to Branch Rickey, you know, wanting to bring Jackie Robinson and a colored player into the game of baseball. Analytics are being used for that same reason, to try to give one team, you know, if you belong to one team, you want to use the numbers to give yourself the best advantage possible, but it's coming at the expense of the sport. Now, you're trying to use different numbers, whether it's, uh, you know, StatCast, and StatCast does a good job. You see how hard a ball is hit. You know, the launch angle, um, players that are going to try to make a play, their their probability of making a play. Uh, you know, all these different things are kind of, I think, masking how statistics and analytics have taken a lot of action away from baseball. Now, we want to divert the fan who is wondering why there's nothing happening on the field and have them pull out their, you know, their little app what are seeing hey how hard was that ball hit how fast did that guy run and while those things have value it's taking away the basics of baseball and the reason that we watch it i watch baseball because listen i'm trying to entertain myself by watching a game now you're looking at a pitcher pitching two innings throwing very hard and he's out of the game already he got his four strikeouts he gave up a hit or two Next guy, throwing gas, goes two innings, doesn't give up a hit, but walks two guys. The other side, the game's going the same way, and you're just watching players come up and sit down. Very few players on the bases, very little action going on in the games. Now, listen, I don't know if baseball was feeling this in a year of the pitcher in 1968, but I would guess, I mean, you're looking at a lot of one nothing games, a lot of games that were not being very high scoring. In a lot of cases, there weren't a whole lot of players or base runners on the field. And baseball did what they could to change the narrative, make more action, involve more action in the game. They started with expansion. They raised the mound. You know, they, they, I'm sorry, they lowered the mound. And then they put in these things that were supposed to generate more offense. I don't know if offense is what baseball really needs. Now, do you think the shift is something that can be changed over time? Listen, there's a lot of people that feel like the shift should change. Now, I, for one, have subscribed to, why don't you hit against the shift? Baseball players will sit there and all day tell me that they're trying, but it's not that easy. And I get, listen, the pitching is as good as it's ever been. 
You can't, you know, the pitchers, their ability to throw as hard as they do, but most importantly, their ability to track what they're doing with their pitches. Tracking, you know, the revolutions on their pitches and using all the statistical data to make them better pitchers. That That's an advantage that the pitchers have never had before. Is the shifts really changing that? Well, you got a guy in the place where the odds are that the player that's up is going to hit the ball, and he hits the ball out there. Well, you say that guy was positioned perfectly. Now, do you change the shift? Do I say ban the shift? No, I don't, I don't know. I think that's a little bit too far. You want to leave infielders on the infield? You tell me you can't have four outfielders? You tell me you can't have a second baseman out in right field? You need to have two infielders on each side of the diamond. Uh, a lot of people don't even know that the shortstop, the, the original position of shortstop, was center to be in short center field. There was a first baseman that played off of first. There was a second baseman that played to either side of second base. Third baseman played off of third base, kind of where they do now. And the shortstop would play in short center field. That's going back 19th century, you know, 1861, 1870-ish for, for those that are, are, are trying to figure out, hey, how long ago was this? But it, there's not a definition of where the shortstop should have to play. So if, if you're going to move players to different parts of the field, I mean, I, I just look at some things that baffle me. I, I didn't, And I'm not a, the biggest advocate for small ball, but what small ball does is it brings more action to the game of baseball. There's more action in small ball. You're, you're watching it as you, as you see it right before your eyes. There's things happening within the game. Hey, if the whole left side of the infield is open and there's a runner on third, I'm going to make sure that runner scores. If the infielder that's playing third base or shortstop is refusing to get close enough to that runner that's on third base, then that's malpractice if that runner doesn't try to score. If that runner doesn't keep trying to get off base as far as they possibly can till you get to a point where you say, well, you know what, if you make any move, I'm just going to go home. There should be more runs scored that way. There should be more teams saying, hey, I'll take a run if the opposition is going to give it to me. Now, how far do you go with it? You say players are going to compromise their, their statistics or the things that they're getting compensated for for more base hits. You know, that player that's out there trying to hit 40, 50 home runs, trying to draw their 100 or so walks, and just trying to put up those stats so they can get their next big contract, how much are they going to compromise that for a little slap singles against the shift? More singles equal less home runs, and it probably drives down the average salary of that player. So I, I see it up to a certain point, and I understand what it is that bothers athletes you're out there you're getting compensated based off of how many dingers you had you know it's not it's not how many singles you know the pete roses of today would have a hard time being amongst the top paid players in all of major league baseball now listen some players do it you know I've, I've seen enough games this year to see that there's players that the whole defensive alignment is is changed from what it was from the beginning of the year because of their approach hey if you're going to give me a single, I'm going to take the single. And, you know, the lineups have changed a little bit. There's more emphasis on power at the top of the order. You know, the leadoff batter isn't that guy that runs, you know, as fast as anybody. There's not the, the number two hitter that's looking to bunt him over to second. The third and the fourth hitters aren't necessarily the best players 
the best offensive position players on a team anymore. I understand that all of that has changed. But if somebody's going to give you a hit, why don't you take the hit? And you know the momentum. I think there is momentum that exists in baseball. You know, you, you get a couple runs early that maybe you wouldn't have scored. Maybe that changes the game. Maybe you win a couple more games. I, I don't know. But I think there's there's a lot that has been centered around everybody needing to have the data. Everybody needing to do what the information says and maybe not acting as much in game. How do managers in baseball impact that? You know my stance on managers. I think there's some managers that have tried to buck the trend a little bit. I think there's there's managers that try to make different decisions in, in regards to what's going on in the game and use 100% of the data that's given to them. But there's nobody that's gone against the defensive alignments. What the shift set, they're printed on cards. The fielder knows that. The manager goes out to the center fielder and says, take a couple steps over. He's going to stick up his middle finger and say, the card says I'm playing here. Screw you. Leave me alone. That's what baseball is being run off of. So if you tell me that I think the manager can make the impact over a team winning and a team losing, I, I only believe it up to a point. I believe that the manager has the locker room. And you're either your players are either playing hard for you or they're not. You either get a, you get a sense of where your team's at. You know they know they can count on you, or maybe they don't. Maybe they're quiet. Maybe they say, you know what, I don't know if this guy really has our backs or our best interest. How does a manager react when there's issues amongst young players? Because think about it, even the oldest players in baseball are are young when it comes to the grand scheme of things. You know nobody's really over forty playing anymore outside of Albert Pujols, right? So, you know, older, older players in baseball are still relatively young. How does a manager ha- handle that type of adversity? I think that's a lot more important than going out there and just writing a lineup now. Now, do managers write their lineups? They don't. Managers have an idea going into the game of who's going to pitch. Not just the starter, but hey, what pitchers are available, what pitchers need rest, um, what certain sequence are you looking for, hey... You're going to face the order twice, and then I want to go to this guy because there's going to be a lefty and uh, a two lefties and a righty here. It's all set up by the data and analytics staff. All this information is taken and processed, put into report form, and it's understood by the manager. Basically, gives a game plan or a template of how they're going to operate the game. Now, like I said. You could hear, if you want to ask somebody a question, hey, do you use data, do you not use data? How much do you use it? I think it's a bunch of bullshit. I really do. I don't believe in it. I don't believe anything that comes out of a manager's mouth. I think we live in another thing that's changed is the day and age that we live in with the, the differences um, in the media coverage. You know, your manager in baseball, every game, every loss, every win has to go out there and answer the same bunch of questions by a bunch of deranged reporters that are trying to make a name for themselves too. And I don't like that. I don't think it is fair to the manager to have to ask all these questions. And you know what? Any manager that, you know, has a half-decent brain is going to make that, I don't know, come up with an answer to that question. Hey, how much are you using? Well, uh, it's almost a standard answer. It's one that almost can't be trusted. 
I do want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Pass Ball Show, brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Alwish's Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. We'll be back with you Wednesday. I'm going to do a show early Wednesday. Um, who knows what I'm going to talk about. I don't even remember what the hell I talked about now. But if you're interested, you can check out my podcast available on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, videos on YouTube. Uh, you can also find me on SoundCloud. Follow me on Twitter at John underscore Pielli. Um, even want to text me, 732-513-5927. Let me know anything that's on your mind in the world of baseball and sports. We'll be back with you Wednesday. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side. Chris Fry was on the Chicago Cubs roster opening day. I have many leather-bound books. My apartment smells of rich mahogany. Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the freaking World Series? I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on living my life. I may come out as the biggest Major League Baseball manager apologist. And only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Because hitters are going out there saying, I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out. And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Especially prospect whores and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this. There are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Tony Mack, who you could say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer. And what side of the spectrum they're on? Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside to hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if you were a fan of the team that was batting and a ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100%, unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing at They put their tail between their legs and decided they're going to do exactly what they're told. You damn well right better give him a contract extension. You damn well right better make him the manager over the next series of years. 35 years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion.